hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, we've been in an ongoing conversation around Jesus' Sermon on the Mount out of uh, the book of Matthew, and uh, we can see light at the end of this tunnel, right? We're narrowing down, we're, we're about to land this plane, but, but what an amazing study, what an amazing conversation that we see uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, quite frankly, the most powerful and meaningful sermon uh, ever preached on this earth, and it was preached by Jesus. And so last week, Pastor Rod introduced us to a group called the False Prophets, and in Matthew 7, Rod eloquently dove into what the false prophets were about and as we pick up tonight's reading in Matthew 7 21 to 23 uh, it doesn't appear that Jesus is finished with the false prophets Uh, he has a few more things to say about them but it's something that you and I too uh, need to understand it's something that we can wrap our spiritual arms around if you will this idea of these false prophets who were prophesying falsely in the name of Jesus now we see them falsely professing to know Jesus. Let's just call them the pretenders. How about that? Let's just call them the pretenders. And I I don't know about you, but have you ever pretended to be someone? You, You probably have. At some point in your life, you've pretended to be someone else. Have you ever been down that road? I I have many times. It's part of the human journey, right, to pretend. And, you know, in the mid-70s, there was this guy he had this motorcycle, and, and, and on Saturdays uh, on ABC's Wide World of Sports, uh, they would promo this guy who was going to do some amazing, crazy jump, right? And so he would jump uh, Caesar's Palace, and he would jump Mack trucks, and he would jump school buses, and, and he, he, you guys remember Evel Knievel? Do you remember this? And at one time, he even attempted to jump, was it the Snake River Canyon? And boy, I remember watching him on Saturday and getting all jazzed up. And this is, I wanted to be this guy. So after ABC had run their thing and he had crashed or whatever happened, man, I hightail it to the garage and I jump on my bike and now I am him. And, and I'm jumping off of curbs and it got so crazy on Philbook Drive where I grew up that just about five houses up, we had Lightning Creek. Lightning Creek is a creek about 10 to 15 feet wide. It's, it's a small creek, as we would say in Oklahoma, but the Lord laid it on my heart to jump Lightning Creek. And man, I was putting a plan together, and, and I was telling a few people, and my dad got word of it, and he says, good luck, son, go for it. And my mother's like, have you lost your mind? You're not going to be jumping that crazy creek. But I, for years, I thought I, I, I pretended to be evil Knievel. Maybe you understand that. Maybe you've pretended at growing up to, to be somebody like that. But that's what we see in the passage. We see a group that Jesus is calling out, not only as false prophets, not only false professors in him as Lord, but pretenders. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, we see Jesus' continued conversation regarding, uh, looks like this, this specific group, and he says these chilling words. He begins and says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter 
the kingdom of heaven. I, I want you to see that. I, I just don't want us to read over that and move on. I want you to see the intensity. I, I want you to see the value of what Jesus is saying. And, and quite frankly, these are shocking words. Not everyone who says that. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of his Father in heaven. Verse 22, he goes on and says, He's on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Rhetorical question. Look at verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. He goes on to say, why don't you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, as we engage the scripture tonight, we pray that your spirit engages us. As we see a portion of scripture that is, it's a warning. You tell us to beware, to be on guard against these types of spiritual leadership. Father, we also must not only look without, we must look within. So we open our hearts and our mind to be taught by the Spirit. To sense and to see your word at work in us. So that we too will not be deceived with our own spiritual condition. But understand it in the light of your words in this passage. In the name of Christ we pray this. Amen and amen. Jesus begins, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. The Greek word kurios means Supreme authority means to one who someone belongs. Now, in the, in the Roman Empire, when, when those sitting on the hillside outside the Sea of Galilee, when they heard those words, it would have resonated with them. It, it, it resonates a little bit with us, but not like it would in the first century. Not like it would if you're sitting on a hillside and you've been under Roman rule for years and years and years. And you understood the value, the depth of lordship. You understood that lordship meant this, this supreme authority, one to whom a person belongs. You begin to understand that Rome would often coerce its citizens into saying that Caesar is Lord. And so you as an early believer there in the first century, there was this tension that began to grow within the lives of those first Christians and that as they began to declare Jesus as Lord, they began to make that declaration that declaration oftentimes was a declaration of life and death. To not declare Caesar Lord, but yet to declare there's a new Lord on the scene was a declaration of life and death. So here we have the pretenders, the false prophets, and they're talking about this lordship, but apparently it's a lot of lip service. Apparently they're not embracing lordship as Jesus had intended. And then Jesus says, uh, you're going to say that, but not everyone's going to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Only those who do the will of the Father, which begs the question, what's the will of the Father? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Matthew 6.40. Jesus gives us insight into this when he says, for this is the will of my Father. Do you see those words? Yeah. This is the will of my Father. Look at what he says, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up 
on the last day. There it is from the pages of Scripture, from the mouth of Jesus himself. This is the will of the Father for everyone who looks unto the Son and then believes in the Son. To him he gives eternal life. Let's sum it up this way. What is the Father's will? It is to believe in Christ and to become like Christ. To believe and to become. Those are the true believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to say there in verse 22, he, he mentions on that day. And, and it looks like a, 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 a benign phrase, but it's very impactful. It's very important. On that day has an eschatological tone to it. In other words, it, it, it's in the future. He's looking forward. He's looking to a day in the New Testament. It always speaks toward a future event, if you will. And it is believed that Jesus here may be referring to the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20 where those who have rejected Christ are now judged under the authority of the living God. So on that day has that likely that judgmental element to it that's coming. So he, he says on that day these will be judged. Now if you look at the resume, it's pretty impressive. Would you not agree? It's an impressive resume. Prophecy. We're casting out demons and many mighty works. That's a pretty incredible resume. Would you agree? Yeah, it's probably got, it's got me beat. Maybe you as well. So that's an impressive resume. But there's something missing. Something is amiss among the false prophets, the false professors. Something is amiss among these gentlemen who are pretending to be the voice of God. Verse 23, Jesus wraps up this conversation. He says this. And then I will declare to them. Look at the declaration. Then I will declare to them. Listen to these chilling words. I never knew you. Those are words you don't want to hear from Jesus. We speak a lot about knowing him, right? In fact, it's a, it's a part of our mission statement to know him. Jesus might say, wait a minute, but do I know you? It's one thing to know him. It's quite another to ask, does he know me? Does he know me? That's the answer. He said, I, I never knew you, and so therefore depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine what that would feel like? to think that you've prophesied, you've cast out demons, you've done mighty things in the name of Jesus. And here he says, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, this is a flashing red spiritual check engine light for all of us in the room. This is a flashing red light. You know the one I'm speaking about. I've spoken on this before. I've had this before, the check engine light. <laughs> this is a spiritual flashing check engine light for our own spirituality. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 6, notice what he says. Examine yourselves. In fact, why don't you say that with me? Examine yourselves. Look at what he says. To see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or don't you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you 
fail to meet the test. Verse 6, I hope that you will find out that we have not failed the test. Wow. Paul's like, he's, he's got the church at Corinthians, right? And he's trying to grab them by the spiritual collar. Like, listen to me, man. Listen to me. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Now, a couple words here. The, the word examine here is the Greek word periodzo, and it means to try whether a thing can be done. It's an attempt. It's an endeavor. It's an endeavor. Beautiful, powerful word to try something, to attempt something. Yeah, a few years ago, my wife approached me around Thanksgiving and says, well, I'm going to bake you a pecan pie. And I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. I've been a good husband for the last 30-something years. It's about time. My wife had, under my knowledge, had never attempted a pecan pie or any kind of pie for that matter. And so I was like, okay, I'm on board. A little reluctant to this whole endeavor, right? It's an attempt. And so she went to work. And uh, she went to work, and she gathered the thing. She put that thing together, and uh, she baked it. She pulled it out of the oven, and I took a bite, and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to respond. I wanted to be kind. I wanted to be gracious. I'm like, whoo, honey, great first try. I, I, didn't know, I didn't know what to do. She scrapped the whole thing. She's like, the thing's not very good. I'm scrapping the whole thing. She went back to work, back to the drawing board, back to the lab. And she put together, I don't know what she did, if she prayed over it or the Holy Spirit got a hold of her or something, but she cranked out one of the most amazing pecan pies I've ever tasted. It was amazing. Now, she's never attempted one since. I mean, she's like, I'm done with that, man. I'm going out on top. But but that's what this word means. It means to attempt. It's an endeavor. It, it, It means more than just to scrutinize. That's the second word, scrutinize, take a look at, look closely. Paul's like, make an attempt. What are your Christ-like endeavors that would prove you are actually a follower of Jesus Christ? What are you doing with the Christ in you, attempting, endeavoring, if you will, examining, proving you are actually a follower of Jesus Christ? Then the second word is nakamadzo, to test, to examine, to prove, to scrutinize. Man, I scrutinized that pie with my taste buds. It was amazing. It was amazing. But the call is to check your life. Take a look. Don't let apathy and and, and don't let just the, the, the routine of your spiritual journey fall by the wayside. Take a look in the mirror spiritually. See where you are. What's going on in your life? What Christ-like endeavors are you and I attempting that prove we are actually in the faith? What are we doing? What are you attempting? What are you trying? You praying for people in the parking lot? It's a pretty good start. Are you loving others as Christ loved them? You say, Pastor, how how do we know? What's the test look like? The Scripture tells us. The Scripture tells us, right? The the, the testimony of the Spirit, Romans chapter 8, lets us know we're God's child. Jesus says in John 10, if you hear my voice, if you know my voice, and if you obey my voice, that's how you know you know. John says that if you love the other brothers and sisters of the faith, that's one of the indicators that you know that you know. John also talks about if we obey his commands, that's another way that we know that we know and that he knows. Are you taking a look? Are you looking? Examine yourself to see whether you're in the face. Test your faith. 
Look around. Don't be apathetic with your spiritual journey. Dig in. Dig in. The pretenders, man. Pretending is pretty dangerous, isn't it? Pretending is exhausting. And folks, it's been my experience through the years that fewer places foster spiritual pretending more than the local church. It's been my own journey. It's part of my own life. You want to run across some professional pretenders? Get connected to a local church because we know how to do it. And, you know, I wish it wasn't that way. I, I, I wish that that, that that wasn't the environment. I, I, I wish that that wasn't how it was because that's a shame. It has to be that way. Oh, it, may, it doesn't have to be that way. It's just kind of what we bring to it. It's natural to pretend. It's a very natural thing. Wouldn't you agree? It's natural to pretend. And so when we look at those pesky pretenders, those false prophets of Matthew 7, like, those guys, we've got to look at ourselves and say, where am I pretending? Where, where, where am I missing it? What, what about my life isn't adding up? What, what is it about me that if Jesus looked at my life and examined my life, what would he say? Where would he say that I am pretending? The church of Jesus Christ should be a safe place to be real about our lives. To be real and to be raw. The church should be a place where we appropriately share our struggles, our brokenness, our doubts, and our fears with each other. Knowing that we are loved, we are prayed for, and we are encouraged further in our journey with Christ. Someone has said that the church is not a museum for the saints, but it's a hospital for the broken. And I wonder, I'm just wondering this in my own mind, I'm wondering this to myself, why do we sense that we have to pretend when we come to God's house? And I've done it a lot. I still do it. But why do I feel that? Why do I need to bring that pretentious spirit and attitude to the, to the Lord's house? Is it that if we thought, well, if, if they knew what I was thinking or what I was about or, or what I did or if they really knew me, you think that's a part of it? Maybe. Folks, let's just clear the air. God knows all about us. He knows all about us. And when we begin to think like that, when we begin to think that, oh, I, I, and I, I would say sharing your life, your struggles, those things in your life, I would say we should do that appropriately, intentionally, and prayerfully. I'm not saying just lay out your laundry. I'm saying do it in a respectful, biblical, prayerful manner. You know what? This is really pretty biblical. In fact, in John chapter 20, you know what Jesus does post-resurrection when he comes across the guys one time? He shows him his scars. He's like, look at the hands. Here's the side. You want to see where I've hurt? You want to see the brokenness of my own life? Take a look. Isn't that amazing? No pretension. Jesus lays it all out on the line, and he encourages his guys to take a look. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to hide the brokenness, the failure, the setbacks, the attitudes. We don't have to hide any of it. Isaiah 61.1, the prophet says, 
that Christ, when he comes, he will bind up, he will heal the brokenhearted. He will set the captive free. He understands brokenness. He understands that shame. He understands the things that we experience in his life. He came for the broken, the lepers, the lame, the hurty, the lonely, the rich, the poor, you and I. He came for us in our brokenness, in our hurt, in our shame, in our failure. Jesus came for us, but he will not cast us out. He calls us in. He doesn't cast, he calls. And he calls us in to experience his his grace and his love and his mercy, amen? In fact, the scripture says this in the book of Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. If anywhere on the planet, should be a place where we foster hope and grace and love and forgiveness and healing. It should be the house of God. It should be the house of God. Because our Lord and Savior, He understands brokenness. He welcomes brokenness. He calls us in as we are, but He wants to transform us to become as He is. It's a place where we enter with all that we bring. And we lay it at the feet of our Savior and say, no more pretending, no more pretense. This is who I am. Now he has a life to work with. Amen? He has something to work with. As we close, let me just ask you in your own life, would you have the courage just just to be real for a moment? I mean, really honest really honest with your own journey, with where you are, with what you're thinking. No pretending, no pretense, no fear. Just say, this is where I am. Maybe it's not all that. Maybe it's kind of ugly. But man, start in a place of authenticity, honesty, no pretense, no pretending. Boy, it's exhausting, isn't it? And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Imagine you woke up tomorrow and you had a pain. You're like, oh, where'd that come from? Not the usual stuff, but something different. And you're like, well, I better go see the doctor. You make a call. You get into your doctor. You get to the doctor's office. You, you make your way. You eventually get into the exam room, and, boy, you're hurting. Doctor walks in and says, well, what's going on? You're like, oh, it's nothing. Not a thing. Really? Then why, why are you here? Ah, I just wanted to come by and say hi. You got great coffee, by the way. Just wanted to stop in. That's ridiculous, right? You're like, no, 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 you're laying it out, man. You're like, oh, this thing, I'm not sure what's going on. But don't we do that spiritually? We'll show up at church, great coffee, what's happening? Oh, it's great, everything's fine. You're like, oh, you got a spiritual limp. You're like, are you limping spiritually? No, I'm fine, fine. No pretense, no pretending. What could God do with our lives if we honestly, openly just laid our, our lives at his feet? says, it's all yours. This is lordship. It's all yours. Let me ask you, is Jesus Lord of your life? Now, this is a really intense word. Is he Lord? Is he Lord? You're like, well, I've, I've confessed him. It, it, we see that can be a dangerous thing, too. Is he Lord of your life? Not, not lip service, but biblical lordship. If not, why not? Mark said it as he shared, today's the day of salvation, now's the accepted time. 
If you've never given your life to the Lord, I mean like surrendered it all. Said, Jesus, I give you all of my life. Why not? Why not? You don't want to hear Christ say, I, I never knew you. you. You don't want to hear that. So why not just give your life to Christ? Say, I, I, Jesus, I, I admit I need you. I believe you are who you say you are. And I confess you as Lord of my life. Paul says this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if we will confess Jesus is Lord. And man, when he's saying that to those in Rome, they understand it. That Jesus is supreme authority over my life. If we will confess that. He is Lord, and we will believe in our heart what? He was raised from the dead. We will be saved. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Do you really know Jesus? No pretending, no pretense. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.